Please remain standing now for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Joshua, first chapter, first nine verses. And as we recited from the Westminster Standards, the Holy Spirit makes the reading of the scriptures effectual for our salvation. So let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word as it's found in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to the Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who makes your word effectual in our lives for our salvation. We pray that you would now sweeten this word in our hearts and in our minds, that we might together grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life, praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Life is full of transitions, isn't it? Some of them big, some of them small. Uh, Some of you know that uh, my son, Mark Jr., and his wife, Desiree, who are both airmen, uh, are in transition. They have a new baby. And between the last time I preached and this time I preached, I just had to carry out my grandfatherly responsibility and make a trip to Oahu (laughs) to visit my grandson. What a wonderful week it was. You know, you have... All sorts of wonderful experiences, but there are just some weeks that just will always remain as very special, and this certainly was one of them. Of course, Mark and Des have been exhausted, so it was nice for Adele and me to be able to take care of Joel and uh, just give them a breather. Uh, Plenty of photos on Facebook. Of course, he's the most handsome grandson ever. Um, Just 
wonderful to be able to spend time with Mark and Des. Uh, Hawaii's a long way away, and with Joel. We just don't get to see them very often. Uh, plus, I, I, I love to golf. I'm not that great of a golfer, but, man, who, who, can, who can beat just being out of doors and with friends and family for a couple of hours? And um, Mark Jr. and I got to play what, what has to be one of the most beautiful golf courses in all of the world, Ko'olau. Uh, it is like a golf course carved out of a, a, um, a tropical rainforest at the foot of the mountains on the windward side of Oahu. Just spectacular. Um, when we were going to golf there, we went to buy some golf balls. And the guy said, oh, you're playing Ko'olau. You know, the rule of thumb is that for every stroke of your handicap, you need to count on losing a ball. <laughs> and um, I said, I don't have a handicap. He said, you need a whole bag. <laughs> And uh, have any of you seen the movie Tin Cup? You know that where he says, another ball, another ball. Nobody was playing behind us. There were times when we teed off like five times. It, it, was, the, it was the hardest course I've ever played on. And then one of our last days, Mark Jr. and I rented Harleys, and we rode Oahu on motorcycles. And well, what a memory that was. Um, just a wonderful week. But Mark and Des are, are in transition. They have a new baby. And they're moving to San Antonio. Uh, they're being, they've been restationed. Uh, not quite as paradise-like as Oahu, but a lot closer to grandma and grandpa. And uh, so we're, we're thankful for that. You know, they've had to sell a house. They've had to buy a house. Uh, God has just blessed them in that endeavor. They're going to be a month in, with a new baby in San Antonio with no furniture. Um, so you know what all that transition is like. New, they both are going to have new jobs, um, new friends. Everything is new. Transitions. Well, you're in a transition as well, individually, as families, small ways, long ways. But I'm talking about congregationally. Uh, you're in a transition, a transition in leadership. Uh, one word for you, nothing new under the sun. Uh, of course, as a congregation, you've been in this transition before, and a lot of you have been in churches in other places and at other times when you've gone through transition and leadership. It really isn't new, uh, and it, actually, it, it's really, really pretty old. The whole book of Joshua is written about a time of transition, transition in leadership in particular. It's a transition from Moses to Joshua. And so Joshua is about a time of transition, but it's also for a people in transition. It was written for the people in the days of the judges. And they had made a transition from leadership like Moses and Joshua to these kind of itinerant judges. Another transition. And of course, judges is preparing people for another transition when they finally move into a monarchy with a king reigning over them. So God knows all about transition. Uh, it doesn't catch God by surprise. And so for the next uh, three times that I'm here, I'm here, Lord willing, Lord willing, I'll be here today. <laughs> that one worked. Uh, next week. And then uh, uh, two times in uh, November, in what's next? November, thank you. Then two times in December. And uh, so f- I'm going to do a short three part series on these nine verses. Because this text really does uh, break naturally into three sections. 
And so we're going to look at uh, God's call for you as a congregation in a time of transition. That's this morning, the first two verses. And then to bolster you in carrying out that call, we're going to look at the next couple of verses where God gives you some promises for your time of transition. And then the last verses, 6, uh, uh, 7, 8, 9, uh, God's going to bolster his promises by giving you some words of encouragement. And in fact, he's going to repeat that word of encouragement three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So a short three-part series on Joshua 1, 1 to 9. Uh, For this morning, just verses 1 to 2, God's call for a time of transition. I just want to draw two things out of this text. And the first point is rather simple. Transitions happen. And the text is aware of that. Leaders move on. Uh, Notice the emphasis here. Uh, In verse 1, it starts by saying, after the death of Moses. And in verse 2, it starts by saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Okay, God repeats it twice. Moses is dead is dead. I think the reason why God repeated it twice, in part, was because people might not have been quite willing to embrace the fact that Moses was dead. and God had to remind them. Leaders move on. Of course, when Moses moved on, he made the big move. Um, Mike has moved on. Big move in many ways, but not quite the same as the move that Moses made. Now, Moses was, did you notice the text said, um, after the death of Moses, and Moses is called the servant of the Lord. That's a special title. We use the word servant in association with the Lord in kind of a general way. Isn't she a wonderful servant of the Lord? But um, the Bible doesn't use the word servant of the Lord that way. Servant of the Lord is a very honorific title. And for the most part, there's only one person in the Old Testament that's called the servant of the Lord. Moses. One time, in one title, to one psalm, David is referred to as the servant of the Lord. One time, Cyrus, king of Persia, whom God used to do something remarkable, namely bring the people of God back from captivity into the promised land, is called the servant of the Lord. Other than that, it's pretty much only Moses who is called the servant of the Lord. Uh, He was the only pastor that most of these folks, that all of these folks, had ever known. I dare say that all of you have had more than one pastor. These folks, to whom the book of Joshua comes and the book of Joshua was about, they had only known one pastor for their entire lives. He's the one that led them out of Egypt, as Glenn read for us this morning. I have led you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, He's the one that intervened in the wilderness when God said, I'm going to wipe all the people out. And Moses stood in the gap and intervened and the people got God's mercy through Moses instead of God's 
justice. Listen to what Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12 says about Moses. Since then, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses, this Moses, Moses, my servant, is dead. Leaders move on. Moses was a wonderful servant of the Lord. Mike's gone. This text tells you two things about how to respond to that. Just as Moses was honored for his service, you have to honor Mike. My guess is that his leaving took a few of you by surprise and that some of you probably thought that you'd go off into your eternal retirement sunset together with Mike as the pastor of the congregation. Uh, I don't know, some of you might have felt a little bit upset at that announcement. Some of you still may be processing that. That's all good, fine. You have, to, you have to feel what you feel and work through what you work through. But you also have to remember all of the wonderful things that God has done in your lives through Mike. Just like the people of God had to remember what God had done in their lives through Moses. You've got to remember him and you've got to honor him for that. And of course it's your choice, right? I mean, you can, you can choose to look at a particular situation from one angle or for another. And situations always have multiplicities of angles to look through. And it's not that one's right and one's wrong. They're different. If someone were to stand outside that window and take a picture of this congregation, and somebody were to stand in that doorway and take a picture of this congregation, they'd look pretty different. But which one is a true perspective on the congregation? Well, they both are. All I'm saying is that remember one perspective on Mike's leaving is to, is to remember him and to remember all the good things that have happened here in the life of the congregation through his ministry uh, and to honor that memory. Leaders move on. But while it's true that you've got to remember Mike and you've got to honor him in your memory, you also have to let go of the past. You can't hold on. One don't, one do. Don't expect the new pastor that God brings you to be a reincarnation of Mike. Do you know how many people, and maybe somebody here has experienced this, but do you know how many people get divorced because of all the problems there are in the other person and they get remarried and they remarry that exact same person? Do you know how often that happens? Now, I don't mean the, you know, the DNA same person. I mean the exact same type of person. It happens all the time. When we go through transition, one thing that we're expecting kind of subconsciously is we're expecting to recreate our past. And you've got to let go uh, of the past. Don't expect the new pastor to be Mike. And of course, when the new pastor comes, please don't say, well, Mike never did it that way. (laughs) 
You just got to let go of the past and be willing to move into the future. So don't expect the new pastor to be Mike and do as you're searching. Do look for that person that God has called to bring you into the next phase of your life as a congregation. Who was great, Joshua or Moses? Now, notice I didn't say who was greater. I said who was great, Joshua or Moses? They both were, right? They both were called by God in the life of Israel for a certain season to do certain things. Moses was called to bring Israel out of Egypt and right up to the very border of the promised land, but Moses couldn't bring them into the promised land. Joshua was too young and inexperienced to bring them through the wilderness into the promised land, but he was the one that was called to bring them in. Moses did certain things for a season Joshua comes and does certain things for a season. Many things in life are not permanent. They're for a season. And in this case, that's true of leadership. Both served at different times to accomplish different things. Uh, Some of you remember Bernie. I go back that far. Uh, How many of you go back to the environmental center? What a cool place. I always loved it. You know, where you're, you're worshiping God and looking out the windows over the top of all the trees. Bernie was here for a season. Mike was here for a season. Sometimes those seasons are short. Sometimes they're long. But often, things in life that we experience are not permanent. They're for a season. We've got to remember the good of those seasons, we've got to honor the good in those seasons, and we've got to let go of that past. We can't hold on to it. We can't expect God to recreate it. We want to be looking for the new. Israel didn't want to be sitting on the border of the promised land saying, man, I can't wait to have 40 more years of wandering in the wilderness. No, they had to look onto the other side of the Jordan and say, what's it going to be like when God brings us into the promised land? And so honor the past, remember the past, and let go of the past. And be open to what God wants to do for you, moving you into your future. So the first thing I just want to draw out of this passage is the simple point that transitions happen. And you're in one. Now here's the second thing to draw out of this. And that is that transitions are under control. Uh, You are not in a chaotic situation that has no boundaries. The Lord has a new leader for you. Look at at, at the second half of verse 1. Right after it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It says, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Already, when Moses dies, God has a new leader that he's putting in position. And he's already addressing that new leader. 
and he's giving that new leader a word. Moses, the, the, the prophet that all future prophets will be compared to, the, the prophet through whom the word of God came into the lives of God's people. Moses is, God, is gone, but the Lord is still there. They can't hear Moses speak, but God is still speaking. Now he is speaking. The Lord said, the people were not without a word from God. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. The Lord has a new leader for you as he did for them. And, and it's encouraging to know that the new leader is a perfect fit, whatever that might mean. Because there's, there's been somebody that from birth has been in the process of being prepared to be your next pastor. Joshua had been prepared. Notice it says Moses' aid. Isn't it interesting that, that, that the next person that God called wasn't just like pulled out of a hat. God didn't like say, now what am I going to do? Moses is gone. Let me find somebody that can plug the gap. No, he had, he had years and years ago put this guy named Joshua in place to be the right-hand man to Moses. Do you think Joshua learned anything about leadership by being at the right hand of Moses? Remember those 12 spies that went in? 10 said, good land, and then they used that four-letter word that only has three letters in it. Good land, but. Too big, walls too high, people too scary. There were two of those spies that said, good land and. If God is for us, we can do it. And one of those two was, do you think that was kind of like preparation for Joshua leading the congregation into the next phase of its life? Remember that time when the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites? And uh, Moses would hold up his staff. And as long as he was holding up his staff, they would win. But he got, you try to hold just your hands up. He got tired and his hands would go down. And when his hands would go down, they would start to lose. Up, win, down, lose. Up, win. Until two guys got on each side of him to hold his hands up. One of those guys was? Do you think that was a part of Joshua's preparation for leading God's people into the promised land? Uh, Numbers 27 tells us that Joshua was personally selected by the Lord to be the next Moses. And uh, somebody has been shaped and prepared through all sorts of life's experiences to be that next person. You see, while sometimes transitions make us feel nervous because we feel like we're not in control, that's okay. We're not, but God is. And so walk by faith, believing that this transition is not chaos that has come into the life of the congregation, but it's transition under control. God has always shown himself to be one who prepares for the next phase of his people's life and ministry. 
And uh, Joshua was that new Moses. Now, remember that servant of the Lord business that I talked about momentarily a a little bit ago? Well, I, I skipped over one place where one person is called the servant of the Lord. And it's at the very end of the book of Joshua when Joshua is called the servant of the Lord. Now, I may actually, over the next number of months, preach through the first five chapters of the book of Joshua. Uh, And if I do, we'll come to uh, um, the crossing of the Jordan River. It's a beautiful story. And in the beginning, it says that God was going to exalt Joshua in the eyes of the people. Joshua needed a little bit of boosting in their estimation because they had so much of a Moses mentality. And at the end of that story, it says, and that day God uh, exalted Joshua in the eyes of the people. Uh, Why? Because God was in the process of making Joshua the new Moses. And even in the second half of the chapter, uh, chapter one, the people say, we will follow Moses as we followed you. Then at the very end of the book, jo- uh, Joshua, Joshua gets that wonderful title, servant of the Lord. You see, transition under control. God was bringing them their new Moses, their new servant of the Lord. And so you've just got to walk by faith, trusting that the Lord has prepared already the person whom is the person that is God's choice to take you to the next phase of your life together as his people. He hasn't prepared somebody to come here to help you repeat the past. But he has prepared somebody to take you into a new future. So the Lord has a new leader for you. And while the Lord has a new leader for you, he's got the same old task for you that you've always had. See, some things don't change. And um, when you're going through times of transition, it's often helpful to focus on what hasn't changed. It's often helpful to keep first things first. Uh, My wife is a guidance counselor. And um, sometimes, in middle school, sometimes kids will come into her office and they're, this is not technical psychological language, they're in a tizzy about one thing or another uh, because they're all in, they're completely in their right brain. And so Adele has learned that sometimes it's very helpful uh, to ha- just, just to say to these kids, um, okay, here, here's a pencil and a piece of paper. Write your name for me. Now, you might think, what on earth is that for? 
You see, because when they get a piece of pencil, a pencil in their hand and some paper, and they do something concrete like writing their name, it brings them back in part into their left, the logical brain part, and it helps them to get out of the tizzy. It brings them back. It focuses them on the real nuts and bolts of life in the here and now. And, and it helps all the drama that they're experiencing. And as we all know, middle school can have just a little bit of drama. Some, one person said, um, if you want to know what hell is like, it's middle school that never ends. <laughs> now, that wouldn't be my wife's take. Because my wife just loves these middle schoolers. She just loves these middle schoolers. But at any rate, what's that have to do with this? While there's a lot that you don't know about what the future holds, there are some things that you do know. And what you don't know can get you locked into the right brain with all the drama. And, and, a, and a key way to deal with that is to get some pencil and paper out and write your name down to get you down into the left side of your brain. Uh, and how do we do that? By remembering that the Lord has the same task for you as a congregation as he's always had. What was the task in their day? Well, simply put, as we've read, God says to Joshua, you are to lead these people across the Jordan into the promised land. That was their immediate task. But that had been what was on God's agenda since way back. Abraham, you're going to have a bunch of kids and they're going to enter the promised land. But it really even goes further back than that. And I don't have time to develop this at this point. But you remember that place called the Garden of Eden? And if we get to Joshua chapter 5, we'll see this. But the Garden of Eden, well, it was a garden, right? Trees, right? The promised land, it's called a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, when the people of God were going into the into the uh, promised land, they were actually re-entering the garden. The garden had an, an entrance on it. Uh, and the, the entrance, as Genesis tells us, was on the east. Remember God put the cherubim with the flashing sword on the east side so that Adam and Eve couldn't get back in? Well, as the, in other words, if you wanted to get into the garden, you had to walk from, I guess, I guess you'd have to walk this way, right? You'd have to walk from east to west to enter into the garden because the door was on the east side. Well, isn't it interesting that the people of God are about to enter the promised land and they're moving from east to west because the entrance is on the east side. And just like at the entrance to the garden, there was the cherubim with the drawn sword in his hand. At the end of chapter 5, when Joshua is moving uh, east to west and about to enter the land at Jericho, he's going to encounter somebody called the man with the drawn sword in his hand. Garden, land flowing with milk and honey, entrance on the east, entrance on the east, guardian with a sword at the door, guardian with a sword at the door. All I'm saying is that this task of entering the promised land is what God was always about. It's always been the task. Uh, He created Adam and Eve to live in the promised land. 
But because of their sin, they got kicked out of the promised land. And God said, the task for my people is to get back into the promised land. So this was not something new for the people of God. This had always been God's plan to enter the promised land. Now, we've got to realize that that promised land that they entered into wasn't real. And we think it was, but it wasn't. Okay, can you look out the window? Can you see the the shade that is created by the tree? Uh, Oh, this will work. Some of you might be able to see on the back wall a shadow, yes? What's it a shadow of? It's a shadow of my hand. Is it my hand? No, it's not my hand. It's only a shadow. That, that thing can't do anything. This can. This is real. That's a shadow. That's the promised land that Joshua was leading his people into. Turn to um, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. It starts by referring to the law. Now, by law, it does not mean the Ten Commandments. Well, it kind of does. But the Ten Commandments were just like a Cliff's Notes version of the whole covenant with Israel made on Mount Sinai. So when it says the law, narrowly speaking, it means the Ten Commandments. But the law, broadly speaking, refers to the whole old covenant made with Israel on Mount Sinai. The law, the old covenant made with Israel on Mount Sinai is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So when Joshua was leading the people into the promised land, he wasn't leading them into the real promised land. He was only leading them into an earthly shadow of the promised land. The real promised land is heaven. The promised land in in Joshua's day was a shadow of heaven. If you've read the Old Testament at all, this is a theme that you have come across. Righteous people are prosperous. Wicked people are not prosperous. Righteous people are blessed. Wicked people are cursed. You read it throughout the Old Covenant. And you say, that's funny because kind of like when I look at the world that I live in, I see righteous people who aren't prosperous and I see wicked people who are. What's that all about? One helpful solution to that kind of dilemma that we encounter when we read the Old Testament, which, which says that righteousness, that righteousness and prosperity go together and wickedness and no prosperity go together is to remember that life in the promised land was a shadow of another reality of heaven. How righteous are you going to be in heaven? Perfectly righteous. How prosperous are you going to be in heaven? What are your driveways going to be paved with? Now, I don't know if that's literally true or not, but it doesn't matter. 
The point is, in heaven you are going to be perfectly righteous and you're going to be perfectly prosperous, not just financially, but in all ways, emotionally, relationally, physically, in all ways. Now, what's hell? How much wickedness will there be in hell? It's all there will be. How much prosperity will there be in hell? None. You see, and entering into the promised land was a, 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 an earthly dress rehearsal of a different reality, of a perfect reality. Of course, it was a dress rehearsal made up by a bunch of actors who didn't know how to act. And so they, like Adam, blow it. And just like Adam got kicked out of the garden, right? Eventually, what happens to Israel? They get kicked out of their garden because... They're like Adam, they end up being covenant breakers, which is why the whole story is driving us to the true Adam, to the true Israel, who will succeed in perfectly obeying God where Adam failed, who will succeed in perfectly obeying God where Israel failed. His name is Jesus. He's the true Adam. Doesn't Paul call him the second Adam? He's the true Israel. Which is why, as you'll recall, Matthew tells us that uh, when Jesus was born, he had to go down into Egypt. And then after he came out of, he had to come out of Egypt, just like Israel went to Egypt and came out of Egypt. And when Israel came out of Egypt, where did they spend 40 years? In the wilderness. Where did Jesus spend 40 days? In the wilderness. Why? Because... Matthew's saying Jesus is the true Israel. Paul tells us that he's the true Adam. Matthew tells us that he's the true Israel. He's the son of God who succeeds where the sons of God have failed to guarantee entrance into heaven. And so just keep in mind, while you're in a transition of leadership, some things haven't changed. You still have the same task. And your task, simply put, is to keep persevering until you, in the language of Steve Brown, make it all the way home. Some things you don't know. This you do. God wants to see you on the other side of the Jordan in heaven. And your task is to do everything necessary to make sure that that happens. And of course, you see, we don't make this journey alone, which is why God has given us the wonderful gift of the church. And that's why Hebrews will also say, don't forsake assembling together. The fact that you don't have a pastor doesn't mean it's like time to take vacation from church. Now more than ever. You need to assemble together, like on Sunday nights for listening to lessons on Genesis. Why? Because that's part of how you encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So value each other. Value time with each other. Encourage each other. Bear each other's burdens. Pray for one another. You see, because... Not only do you individually have the task of making it all the way home and entering heaven, but God's also giving you the task of bringing other people along with you. We don't walk alone. You are the church. 
Leaders come, leaders go. You're still here. Uh, Guess who else is still here? Three elders, which is one of the reasons I love the Presbyterian system. In congregations where I grew up, when the pastor left, since the pastor was kind of like a mini pope, there was no leadership anymore. But you still have leaders as well. You still have elders as well. You have deacons. You have other lay leaders. And so you have a lot going on. You just happen to have lost the guy that was kind of like at the top of the food chain. or I don't know. Whatever the, whatever the metaphor is, you get the point. Remember, in, in transition, remember the basics. What hasn't changed is God's call on your life to make it into heaven and to bring others with you. And entering heaven is not just for the future. Entering heaven is for now as well. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in? In short, Jesus taught us to pray that more and more heaven would come to earth. How many of you need some of that prosperity of heaven right now? whether it's financially or physically or relationally or emotionally. You need some of that heaven. And God has called you to enter into that heavenly reality. How many of you know people who could use some heaven in their lives right now? Part of your task right now is to be channels of heaven into their lives, whether they're in this congregation or outside of this congregation. And so while the future's unknown in a lot of ways, the present is not. God has a task for you, and it's the same task that he's had for his people from the very beginning, and that is to enter the joy of his presence. See, Jesus knew that, which is also why heaven's, uh, Hebrews says, um, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who for the joy set before him. What joy? The joy of entering heaven. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned the shame. And after that, what did he do? He sat down at the Father's right hand. And as surely, as surely as Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned the shame, entered into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, so most assuredly will you. Because he didn't do that just for himself. He did it for you as well as your true second Adam, as your true Israel. By grace, through faith, in all of the transition, keep your eyes fixed on the task. Do everything concretely that you can to make sure that you're making good progress in entering heaven, experiencing more and more of it now on earth, and being channels of that heavenly reality into the lives of other people. Uh, of other people that God uh, has called you to minister to. Well, let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that you would bless this word to our hearts, that together we might uh, move forward into the future that you have for us, uh, keeping our focus on that task of entering your presence Uh, In this life, uh, as we anticipate entering into the perfection of that presence in the life to come. 
And bless us with that wonderful experience of being able to be channels of that heavenly reality into the lives of other people. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.